it. We are continuing this morning in our series in Habakkuk, or in the Minor Prophets. We are continuing this morning with the Minor Prophet Habakkuk. If you want to be really fun and like uh, not COVID compliant, you can really get the guttural sound of it, uh, Habakkuk, and kind of like get some spit to come out when you say it, um, which is the good Hebrew way to pronounce that name deep in the throat. Uh, But this is another one of our minor prophets. Habakkuk uh, and who he is, is kind of interesting. There's scholarly debate, not just on uh, background information and when and where, which we always know, and as you guys have heard from us enough at this point in time, all of these things are kind of, you know, windows and time frames. We don't always know exactly when these things happen. History is not so reliable when you go back, you know, 3,000 years ago. And so we understand that there's some debate on this. But what's interesting about Habakkuk is that not only is there debate around whether or not uh, he was during a certain time frame or what part of the Israel and Judah where he's coming from, but his name itself is debatable. Um, He could be Hebrew. He could be Arcadian, which is interesting. Um, There's not really a Hebrew word for Habakkuk. Uh, It's an Arcadian word that means uh, a tree. Essentially, it's a fruit tree, but there are some scholars that think that you see it pop up in Hebrew language where it's known as a word to embrace, but it's a very unique word either way. And so there's this interesting thing, and we, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk, and there's a lot of the minor prophets that this is the case with, where we don't always know exactly a ton of details. A lot of our minor prophets or our major prophets, other characters in the Bible, we get they were the son of so-and-so in the year of so-and-so. Right, the one I always quote is Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died. Like we, they give us like dates. Habakkuk doesn't do this, so everything we kind of know about him is given to us from contextual clues that we see happening in the book. To the best that we can tell, this is going on somewhere probably around 612 B.C., to 600 BC, maybe a little later into the 500s. And the reason we know this, and this is uh, tantamount to what we're discussing this morning, is because we know that Habakkuk is prophesying, or we have this book, and we'll talk about that in a second too, that's not necessarily your normal prophecy that we're used to. Uh, It's very unique in a lot of different ways. But he's talking about after the fall of Nineveh, or Assyria, right? So he's going to transition. And we just had Nahum last week. Ben came and preached Nahum for us. And Nahum prophesied the fall of Assyria. And Habakkuk is living kind of in that transitional period between 612, 600 B.C., somewhere around there. Because what happens is the prophecy of Nahum comes true. Assyria falls. And within a few short years, a new empire has taken its place. And this is a cycle that will repeat itself all through history to today when we have the United States as a global empire in some sense, like a a global power that is the biggest kind of country that rules and reigns in lots of different ways. And so like governments have always just sort of done this. They get replaced again and again. And we see this happening in the Old Testament. And so what happens is Nahum prophesies the destruction of Assyria And the Hebrew people, the Israelites, are like, yes, yes, yes. Because at this point now, Israel's gone. Uh, They have been sacked and taken over. So we've talked about this throughout here. The northern kingdom has been uh, put into exile. 
but the southern kingdom, Judah, has, is still kind of holding on ever so tightly. So the king during this time would have been a very young boy named Josiah that you may have known this name. And Josiah comes and he institutes reforms into Judah. And he starts to tear down idol places. And Josiah takes the throne at eight years old from kind of our best estimates. Young, young boy. This would be like Gray Mullins, you know, having already sat on the throne for four or five years because his birthday's coming up. He'll be 12, right? That's insane. So Gray will be 12. That'd be like Gray having been king of Judah for four years already, right? And so this is a young kid, but he comes and he has a heart for the Lord. And he has a desire to be the one who is like helping Judah get back to what they're supposed to do. But what we begin to see in Habakkuk is that there is still some idolatry that's like tied in there. Like Josiah can't quite institute a total reform. It's too caught up into the like culture, to the waters that they're swimming in. And so Habakkuk, celebrating the fall of Assyria, thanking the Lord for that, he turns to God and he says, but we need to deal with our own idolatry. We need to take care of what's going on with us. And this is where the book picks up. It's kind of in this plea, in this cry. And so we're going to read this morning uh, quickly our passage from Habakkuk 2. I'm going to read verses 2 through 14. Another thing that I'll say about this before I go any further is Habakkuk, I said this, is, is a slightly different prophecy than what we're used to. You see at the beginning of Habakkuk 1.1, it says a prophecy or an oracle is some translations that Habakkuk carries. Now, this isn't like Greek, Greek mythology oracle. What uh, in Hebrew the term oracle actually means is a burdensome like load to bear. It's this thing that you're meant to deliver that is heavy and it's, uh, it wears you out. It's not necessarily a joyful thing to do. But what we get then is not a message or a sermon in the way that we normally see prophecy. What we get is Habakkuk's conversation and prayer between him and the Lord, between him and Yahweh. And so it's a prayer that we're given to read. And Habakkuk, in a lot of sense, what he's doing is he's speaking the words of Israel, the people of God, to God on their behalf. And so he's serving a different role in the prophetic. And I say that to say that there's different ways the prophetic takes place. And what Habakkuk is doing is he's, he's questioning God in his entire message. And it's this prayer and this wrestling that we see kind of publicly for the people then to kind of contribute and, and to partake in with him. And so Habakkuk's prayer is given to us, and this is his prayer is his prophecy. And it's a burden for him because he's trying to wrestle with this thing that God is doing amongst Judah and the nations around him. So hear these words from Habakkuk 2, and then we'll give some background context to it. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits on appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. 
He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's happening here is this is the Lord's response to Habakkuk's question. And to Habakkuk's response and his insistence that he will not budge until the Lord answers his question. And as is kind of a customary or routine in prophecy, what we see is that there is this like drawing up of the nations around in Israel or Judah being named for the same things. The prophets are continually like talking about Assyria or Babylon, and then at the same time they're talking about Judah and Israel and vice versa. And what the Lord is getting at is that there is this human problem. Or what the prophets are getting at through the voice of the Lord is that there's this human issue. And the Lord longs for justice and righteousness, for peace. Violence is the theme word throughout Habakkuk. Habakkuk's going to continually speak against what is the natural violence of humanity. The violence of the nations and the violence and injustice of Judah itself. So let's go back a little bit further then. So Habakkuk has this prayer, this burden, this prophecy that he has received, and we see him come to pray before the Lord. And in his praying, he is uh, aware of and knows that the Lord was good to deliver on the promise and destruction of Assyria, which the people of Judah would have been very grateful for. And it's kind of like in this promise and in this moment... He says, okay, okay, Lord, you did the thing that you promised to do. Now will you take our idolatry from us? We're, we're in the process of reforms. Assyria has been removed as an enemy. We need to take care of what, what's in our house so that we can prosper. Maybe we could be the next like, thing that we're supposed to be. Maybe we could rise to the prominence that you've always promised us to be. What we know we could be in the line of David. And so Habakkuk prays this prayer and he asks that the Lord would remove idolatry and sin among them, that the reforms of Josiah would continue. And then Yahweh does this thing that is wildly confusing. He tells Habakkuk that he will use Babylon to destroy Judah. And Habakkuk's like, yo, this is a way too big of an overreaction here. This is like... A, I was thinking about this as I was trying to process what this would look like or, or how Habakkuk's response would be. And I think it's much like a little kid that has like skinned his knee 
or a little like kid that's fallen and you always make the joke like I guess we're just gonna have to cut it off like and the kid's like no nah, man it's just I just need a band-aid like it's just some blood on my knee like I'll be we don't need to amputate my entire leg but they're all dramatic and they're crying and you're like nope I guess we're gonna have to cut it off and then the hope is as a, an uncle or a parent or friend that you get the kid to laugh and they kind of forget that they're hurt and you move on in some sense, Habakkuk is like, Lord, we need a band-aid. And Yahweh's like, and we're going to cut off the whole leg. We're just going to start over. And Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, that's not what I was coming to you for. I was coming to you to say, like, you've done the thing that you promised to do. And Habakkuk never budges on his reverence for Yahweh. He continues to address him. He's not questioning Yahweh's faithfulness or his goodness. He's just questioning what he's doing. And I think that that's a really profound thing because what we see in Scripture is there's a space for us to do that, to wrestle with God. It's through the Psalms, it's through Job, and we're seeing it in Habakkuk. He's asking for the Lord to do something and the Lord speaks to him. And Habakkuk's response is like, wait a minute, that, that wasn't what I thought you would do. I didn't think you were going to wipe us out because of a little bit of idolatry. Like, I just thought you would help us fix the idolatry. But his insistence or, or his uh, I should say like why is my mind there's a word I want and it will not come to me in this moment the reason he's offended by this and that's not the word I'll get it sometime and then I'll share it with all of you and I'll be like that was the word he, he's offended at it he's outraged at this not just because like he doesn't want to be punished he was asking that Judah be punished he's outraged at it because he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, remove our idolatry. And the Lord said, okay, I will by taking the consummate idolaters and having them destroy you. The ones that are even worse and more evil than you are, they will destroy you. This is confusing. Habakkuk is right to kind of say like, wait, what? Because here's the thing about Babylon. For as terrible as Assyria was, Babylon was every bit if not worse. And Ben last week did a really great job of telling you how horrible of an empire Assyria was. And Babylon is like that much more terrible. One of the commentaries I read, they stated it like this. They said it would be like us gathering together as a church and praying against the idolatry and the love of greed and power and money and like recognizing the sins that have pervaded the culture of America that we can't quite get out of the waters. And the Lord being like, okay, you know what, fine. I'll let the Taliban take over the country. Like that's kind of what ha is happening here with Habakkuk. And we'd be like, whoa, that, like, that can't be a better situation than what we were in. That has to be a worse situation. And what we see in Habakkuk's response is a faithful belief in God's kindness. He never questions God. He never wonders like, I mean, he does question God, but he never wants to remove himself from God's faithfulness. That's why he's confused. It's because he knows who God is. He knows that God is good to deliver. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that God is gracious. And he knows that God loves his people and he will not abandon them. And he's like, Lord, this is out of character with you. Why would you do this? And he insists that he will not leave. Habakkuk 2.1, he says that I will stay as a watchman in a watchtower until I receive my answer from you, O Lord. 
I will not abandon this. I'm not going to walk away without a fuller and deeper understanding of what's happening here. And this is where our passage comes. We see that God is going to bring judgment not just on Judah, but eventually on Babylon as well. And this is where it is. It's it's starting to get all tied up. It's not just Babylon. It's all the nations. And if you read beyond the lines, what you see is that God ultimately will come and he will make a judgment on violence, injustice, and unrighteousness completely. There will be a total judgment of all of the things that have always corrupted humanity. The thing that we have not been able to escape, that the people of God themselves were not able to escape. What you see is that pattern had long existed and it still exists up to this day. There's a pattern of violence and injustice that we are all too well acquainted with. Some of us, because of our privilege and the uh, status we were born into, are more removed from that. But we're still aware that it exists and that it happened. Others are much more acquainted with it because of their life and their upbringing and where they were born and the problems that they feel and come encounter with. But this violence and this injustice, we cannot escape it on our own. It is the human thing. And, And I talked about this in our series already, but there's this thing that's happening all through the Old Testament where we start with the Tower of Babel, And then this idea of Babylon or Babel becomes this like pervasive thing that is the problem with humanity that we can't escape. This power and this desire to rule and to reign on our own terms, on our own accord, which is what constantly brings injustice and unrighteousness to the land. And what the Lord promises in Habakkuk 2 is that though you may not understand my ways, and it seems mysterious and confounding to you, my promise is, is that I will not only deal with the problem that you're bringing to me, but I will deal with the problem in a deeper and truer way than you can possibly understand or imagine. And what we ultimately get is Habakkuk's response of, okay, I trust you. Even if it doesn't make sense, he contends with the Lord and he says, I I trust that you will be faithful and that you will be And we see in Habakkuk a plan laid out for Yahweh's ultimate deliverance and vindication of his people. This continues, obviously, into the New Testament through Jesus Christ and what we receive in and through him. But this is what I want to say for us before we get to that good part and transition to the table. I think in Habakkuk we see demonstrated for us a faithful way for us to walk into process when we don't understand the mysteries of God. What we see in Habakkuk is the difference between fatalism and faithfulness. He doesn't simply consign himself to the desolation of Judah or just sort of walk away from God. Too often when God confounds us and gives us mystery, what we do is we talk to one another as if God isn't there, behind God's back, as if he can't hear us or he can't handle the questions we have for him. We treat him like a friend that has confused us or hurt us. We walk away. We think that... We've misunderstood God and and he can no longer be trusted because we've been confused by the ways of his judgment or his mercy. 
His grace is either too big or his judgment is too harsh. And so we tend to do this thing where instead of coming before the Lord honest and humble, we simply say that the Lord's too fierce, too angry, whatever it is that we kind of have come up with in our minds, and we say that we're going to be done with it. But what we see in Habakkuk's faithfulness is that he goes to God and he does not abandon the thing that he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that is that God is faithful and gracious and true to his people, and that he will not, as we talked about last week, abandon his covenant, that he will be gracious to a thousand generations, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Habakkuk knows this is true, so though he is confused, though he has doubts, though he is wrestling, and that in some ways the Lord is coming and he is rending apart Habakkuk's understanding of who God is, though there are some old religion and things that he is uh, allowing to be rethought and re-understood, he does not abandon who he knows God to be. Even though it feels like God is not those things to him in that moment. But he will not leave it. And I think we would be good to hear that word this morning. In the space that we find ourselves culturally, in the space that we find ourselves philosophically, in a world where we honestly are sometimes wrestling with the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God when we're recognizing and dealing with the idolatry and the problems that we are readily equipped to admit to that we've seen in the church and some of us in our own churches and our own upbringings, we want to run away. Instead, we don't stop to think like Habakkuk and say that the Lord's big enough for these questions. The Lord's big enough to wrestle with these things. He's not afraid of your doubts and he's not afraid of the faults of the church. The people of God have failed repeatedly, and he has been good to forgive and to be gracious and kind, both to his people and to the nations. Does not stop his judgments. He is also good to deliver on those, whether we like it or not. And many of us have experienced that. And in so doing, I think a lot of us have experienced the grace and the kindness of the Lord in those judgments. And Habakkuk trusts that God knows more than he does, that God is the one that rules and reigns, and he's submitting to him and saying that I will not try to place myself there. Yours is the kingdom, and I will participate in it by remaining faithful and devout to you. So there is a right way and a wrong way to carry these heavy burdens that are right burdens. Habakkuk shows us the right way. I think for a lot of us, people oftentimes use their doubts and their disappointments with God, their frustrations with God as a platform of self-expression that allows them to garner some sort of like intellectual clout or following amongst a group of people that want to understand skepticism and deconstruction. Hear me, the Lord and Scripture not in the 20th century way of deconstruction, because that leads to things that we don't really want to deal with, and most of us would run away from a full-blown Nietzscheism, okay? But Scripture's full of deconstruction, full of rendering apart how we understand and what we know, but yet remaining faithful and anchored to who the Lord is. 
And for many of us, it's much cooler, it's much easier to simply sit back and pick apart what we're not actually a part of, what we don't have our skin in the game. And this extends beyond the church culturally. We were just talking about this this weekend. Like we live in a culture where it's not cool to be passionate and excited about things. It's much cooler to just critique things. You guys know my issues with Pitchfork, and it's not just because they rated the Space Jam movie badly, because it wasn't that great. They were being honest. But I still enjoyed it because it's got LeBron in it and nostalgia, okay? But I have issues with pitchfork culture where, and Twitter culture where we simply just critique everything. For the love of God, we took Ted Lasso and said it was terrible. Like, how? How can you do these things, okay? There's an internet craze of where you take something and anytime it starts to get good, someone has to say how terrible it is or how bad it is because that's what we want to do culturally. It's where we live. It's where we exist. And it's no more so true than in the church. But I don't think that's what the Lord would long for us. Because here's the thing. Most of the time, people have real qualms with the church. There's been real hurt. There has been real pain. There's been real suffering. And I would never doubt that. I have been a part of things that I have questioned and looked back and been like, I don't think that was right. But most of the time what was wrong or what wasn't correct or what I could critique is just that the thing was a shadow of what God could be. It wasn't that God was wrong. And this is what Habakkuk gets. He says, Lord, this feels like a shadow of who you're supposed to be. This doesn't feel like who you've promised to be. And the Lord says, you know what, you're right. I'm deeper and bigger and wilder than you could ever dream or imagine. And if you just stay with me, you'll see it to be so. And I think that that is the Lord's message to us this morning through a book like Habakkuk. Is that everywhere you think that there may be faults or flaws, what he's saying to you is that thing that you want to deconstruct, that thing you want to walk away from. I want to walk away from it. God wants to walk away from it. He wants you to walk away from that. Because it's a shadow of who he is and what he is capable of doing in and through your life. I've sat in conversations with people and they tell me about why they don't want to be a believer. And I'm like, I wouldn't want to be a believer in that God either. Because that's not who God is. That's not who Yahweh is. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. Is He's saying, Lord, this isn't who you are. And the Lord says, I know you're right. I will deliver you. I will end violence and injustice. And Habakkuk says, okay, I'm in. And I think that is our invitation this morning, to trust that the Lord is good, and He is mysterious. Of course He should be mysterious, because He's wild, and He's unpredictable. And though He's never changing, He's like ever changing, because He's always popping up in the least expected places. And yet He's faithfully consistent, and He's wildly inconsistent with where we expect Him to be, and He's moving, and He's on the prowl, to quote C.S. Lewis. It's been a while, I have to throw one in every three weeks, okay? just for good measure, we'll say, of course he isn't safe, but he's good, all right? This is who God is. He's wild and he's big, and this is what Christianity and practicing the way of Jesus is, is it's wild and it's big and it's exciting, and we've made it so domestic and small and simple and black and white, and it's just not. There's mystery to it all. 
And yet we can be invited into that and trust and be anchored because there's consistency and faithfulness and there is black and white in who Jesus Christ is for us and the ultimate defeat of violence and death. So often our disappointments and our frustrations, our questions, our wrestlings, our deconstructions can become simply a crutch that we form and that we lean on to give ourselves a, a sort of victim mentality as a way or an excuse of not having to deal with what the Lord is really calling and asking of us, which is our whole being and life. And we can allow those disappointments and those frustrations to be that crutch, or we can allow them to drive us further into the heart of God, where he longs to take the things that you're wrestling and the mysteries you have, and he wants to rend them apart and open up the heavens to see him again rightly and anew, and invite you into a wild and passionate life of following Jesus and living into the kingdom of God that is bigger than we can imagine or understand. To lay down the shadows of religion. And I, like, hear me out on this. Like, this is not me saying mosaics got it figured out, okay? That's to say that all expressions of this thing that we are doing are always just trying to get at what God intends for us. And we have to have the hu humility and the ability to be self-aware of the fact that like God is always going to continue to reveal himself more and more to us. Like I've said this before and I'll say it again a million more times probably. Like I pray to God when I am 64 instead of 34 that like I understand and have a fuller and bigger picture of who God is. Like I pray to God that I'm not the exact same as I am now, that I am less anxious, less prone to getting angry, that I'm more gracious and kind because I have had more encounters and had a fuller realization of what it means to be a participant in the kingdom here in Birmingham or on earth as it is in heaven. And so we try and we recognize our faults and our failures and we mark the places where idolatry has crept into our lives and we say, yes, we too are guilty of it. We too are guilty of trying to create our own Babylons, of using violence and injustice to our advantage and our favor. And we come back and we submit it to the Lord and we say, rend our ideas and our understandings of you apart and allow us to see you again fuller for who you're supposed to be. And then we get little glimpses, and it's a cycle that repeats, and I think in that we can grow and grow into a more gracious, kind, and loving participant in the kingdom. In Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39, it says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in Jesus that we are tied and bond to this kingdom reality. Where death and violence and injustice want to reign supreme, we see in Jesus that he came and he defeated death and he took on the violence of humanity and the world and he said, I will take the wrath and the punishment that you long and desire to see on your enemies and that you deserve and oftentimes long and desire to see put on yourself. And I will swallow it up whole. And I will defeat it so that Romans 8 
can continue to be true. And if Romans 8 is as true as we confess it to be, then we have no choice but to be like Habakkuk, to say we will wait on the watchtower like a watchman until the Lord proves to us his goodness because we know he will be faithful to do so. And so that's our invitation this morning. To wait. To know that the Lord is who he says he is. To know that he is gracious, kind, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful to generation, thousands of generations. This is the covenant promise that Habakkuk would not have been willing to abandon, and we should not be willing to abandon it either. As the band comes up, we're going to enter into our time of communion. And as I've already said, this is the moment in the space where we're recognizing and coming again and again to what we believe the Lord has done for us. It's in this table and in these elements that we come and we receive the body broken for us and the blood poured out for our provision and for our forgiveness when we recognize that we too have continually made idols, that we too are difficult to get away from the idolatry, that we too are confounded and by the mystery of who God is and we come and we receive and say we know that no more or no less than this is God revealed in Jesus Christ in the sacrifice and in his resurrection and so we come to celebrate at the table to know that we have reason to believe and to sing reason to be faithful reason to be hopeful in the midst of mystery and chaos and confusion and darkness we have reason to be joyful We have reason to have peace and calm. We have reasons to be a non-anxious present in a soci- presence in an anxious society. Because though not all may be right, we know that the Lord in Jesus Christ is defeating death and violence. And that in the right time and in his own ways, justice and righteousness will reign and the love of God will prevail. So I invite you to come and to take a piece of a bread and the cup, hold on to the elements and go back to your seats and I'll lead us in the taking of the elements once everyone has those. There are communion cups uh, if you are wanting to take part in the COVID compliant. We have gluten-free on this side as well. So come down the aisle, take the bread and the cup, hold on to those elements as the Lord leads you and I'll come back up after the song and we'll take together. Amen. Thank you.